0: Roger. Yeah, I think it's going the wrong one. I'm just. Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. There was still a little bit uh, left in the. Okay, don't hold it like
1: this. Is
0: that right?
2: Is that what?
0: going on okay I'm Okay, I'm ready to pull it down now. And we're still, we're just, uh, in, like-
2: Hi! Welcome to the podcast. This is how it's going to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah! Welcome, welcome to Live's to to Tape with Johnny Pemberton, Pemberton a.k.a. Jimmy, Jimmy Jackson, a.k.a. Jason Pepperhouse, also known as Kevin Tickhorn, the owner, operator, driver of. Oh Big, big Red
0: Truck. Truck. Red Okay, that's enough of that. Uh, I don't know what all those effects were about, but we've had enough of it. Let's just move forward and deal with the podcast on a normal, human level, God. like adults for the, for first, the first time. time. <laughs> for, for, for the first, first. time you ever dealt Why is this? Why is this just doing all
2: this? Who's doing it? Can you stop? Can we just tell them to stop with the effects for a second here? We're just trying to do a normal podcast. Yeah. So on Hey, uh, welcome to Live to Tape. You're here right now of the podcast I just said. Uh, one thing I want to say before we get into it, before I get into the, the meat of the episode, this podcast was recorded on March 12th, I believe, which is um, not that long ago in life. But in the current life, we're living here right now in the accelerated universe where everything happens faster than it used to happen because of some sort of weird type of I don't know, off-kilter black hole that's causing all these crazy shit to happen. That is a long time ago because so much has changed. And because of that, a lot of the stuff that we said uh, sounds like we are amazing geniuses who predicted the future. And also a lot of it sounds like we don't know what the hell we're talking about because we didn't know what the hell we're talking about because we didn't know what the hell was going to happen because nobody did. So uh, just bear in mind when you're listening to that before you write a letter to Live to Tape podcast at gmail.com or wherever you write letters to in the form of email or complaints and whatnot like that. So just please guy, you know, it just makes you want to just want to just like try to keep that in mind then do it but just yeah, just just put that in your in your mind and let it sit there before you smoke it, okay? Thanks.
3: The podcast has
2: a Patreon. Go to patreon.com
0: slash live to tape. That's patreon.com slash live to tape. tape. And you can check out all the weekly and monthly goodies that are available for those who choose to engage, engage those who choose to engage on a uh, minor financial commitment that allows for you to see things that, that you otherwise would not be allowed to partake in. And it's, it's one of those things It's, it's like a buffet. buffet. Well, once you get in there, I mean, this is the Executive Buffet. We all know that. If you're a first-time listener, this is the Executive Buffet, and I welcome you to that. So if you go to the patreon.com slash live-to-tape, you are, have full access to the Executive Buffet. And what that means is this is a, a 24-hour buffet. It's open all the time. So if you jump into Buffet Level 3 and become a true guzzler, you are allowed access to all of the previous buffet items because like I said this is a timeless buffet it's sort of a Mobius strip of buffet so everything you get you get everything that everyone got before you just by entering into this patreon.com slash live to take please join us there and we'll have a great time.
2: Otherwise, if you can, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It's very easy to do, and it helps things out immensely in terms of uh, all the things that help out immensely. My guest today, wonderful guest. We've been talking about recording together for a long time. He's somebody I have the distinct pleasure of coming up with in stand-up comedy. He's lived a 1,000 lives. He loves music. He's all over the place and in the same place at one time. A boisterous enigma of love. Please welcome to the podcast all your love and listening enjoyment josh adam, adam
0: Myers. Myers here on live today podcast right now right here in this iteration of life
2: rolling rolling yeah, i think i need a little more volume on this actually
1: on the uh, on the input by the way i vape while this happens right now it's just my electronic segment.
2: I say so I mean vaping is one of those things where I feel like if uh, You shouldn't have to If you ask permission to do it You won't
1: get it to do it But
2: there's no reason you should be allowed to
1: vape In this day and age I vape in the <laughs>
3: To escape
2: See I'm all the way up right now Bridget. Just saying I'm all the way up Yeah.
1: Here we go. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Is this you singing? No. This is 10cc. All You can see why I would think it would be you.
2: I mean, it does. I could see it sounding a bit like... I would love to have recorded this song. This is from, like, 1981 or so, 1976.
1: Avery Pearson said hello.
2: Who's that? You know Avery Pearson?
1: God, so I told him you said that. <laughs> I told him he was like, tell me, I said I. I go, I will. And then now you just said that, so then I ended up telling him you said But who no. is it? He's my bloody. He, um...
2: Some of us he, he don't know people piano. by name. He, he,
1: you probably know, oh, him. I he know. used I know. to work the sound booth at the Improv. Really nice yes, guy. Yes, I do Does know him? show, the 88 show... I do know. Yeah, you'd be great for the '88. I'll, I'll set that shit. '88
2: keys on a piano.
1: But you guys write a song together, and like, a, it's a funny song. Yeah. And, and he could write it in with you in your style. Okay. And it could be whatever.
2: Josh Adam Myers, welcome to Live to
1: Tape. I'm so happy to be here. This is a
2: strange time right now, but it's uh, we're doing it no matter what.
1: Well, me and. Uh, my family were figuring out which tribe to join, right? Uh, because it's uh, the beginning of the end, and you know, I, I don't know. It's like there's a I lot. I think it's of...
2: just the beginning of uh, new times. I like guess it's the beginning of like, uh, you know, like you don't. If you're old, that's like you're lucky to be old. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, You've had a full life, and you, you've had kids. You've 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 had sex many yeah. times. You had a job. You've, you've won money. You've lost money. You've lived. And you're at the end. There's mm-hmm. a great video right now of this, like, 97-year-old woman having a birthday party, and they bring out the cake, and they're like, happy birthday, Grandma. And what? she literally, after, as soon as they all get quiet, she goes, God, I hope this is my last one. I think I've heard that. I've seen I'm like, that, yeah. And I literally shared it, like, that's <laughs> the realest shit I've ever seen. Because you think right now, I just turned forty and I'm like, no, I still got a full life ahead of me. I love this. It's great. I, god, I would hate to die.
2: You do but, have a full life
1: ahead of you. But but, but when you get into those like late eighties, early nineties, unless you're like this super active person, because there are all those people that are like ninety, but they're yeah. really like seventy, the way their body reacts. Right. And then there's people that are like seventy, like my mom, who's like seventy, yet she might as well be a hundred and forty. Okay. I mean? She's so, overage. She's over she's just yeah, so there's some people that are just like you know, when you get to 90 and you're like, I've lived a full life, it is time for me to go. And then yeah. they just take that last breath, you know, they cancel their, their, their Disney Plus subscription and they die. Or they hand it off. God, you know... I'm, it's I'm, going
2: to happen so much now. I mean, we're we're recording right now on... Uh, this is March 12th. This is why I'm saying this, because I listened to a podcast uh, yesterday I was driving somewhere. I listened to a podcast that was recorded one week earlier. And... It sounded ridiculous.
1: Different world. It sounded A week like
2: ridiculous. It sounded so <laughs> out of touch. And it was funny because the stuff they were saying was so just like, oh, you yeah, know, maybe we'll be fine. Like, just sort of, I don't know, sort of how assured they were about things that were going to happen. Yeah. And it's just, it's so interesting now that this has all sort of been like, I keep
1: turning these lights on. it's just so fucking bother my. No, no, eyes. no. That's fine. Um, I, I, I like the mood, actually. Yeah. It was too bright. It's so. Uh, no, I agree. I, I, hundred percent agree with you. Like, it's, it's, it's definite. But, uh, but also in, it's been a week that it's gone from, okay, to, okay.
2: To everything's canceled.
1: Yeah, dude. Well, first of all, not to scare you, but uh, I literally just got back from Italy a week and a half ago. Oh two weeks. My God. Two weeks. Two weeks from yesterday. Uh, tomorrow. I'm Wait. locked in a room with Josh. <laughs> here's the deal. Here's uh, the deal. So, I'm laughing. It's well, you, you're going to be fine because no. I, I'm at the po- I'm at the point right now right. where well, here's the deal. I I I might. I haven't been tested. Um, we were in Rome, and the outbreak was in Milan. What were you doing there? With your mom, right? Yeah, my mom always <sighs> wanted to go to Italy, and she was like, you know, any time when I was building the career... Dude,
2: that picture I saw was one of the sweetest things I've ever seen in my entire life. You tell that story. I'll say what so, I saw. So yeah. Picture your mom,
1: sweet lady, standing in front of... She's people. a Holocaust denier, by the way. So denier. So she's not that sweet. Oh, my <laughs> God. Kidding. This I'm is kidding. Okay, I was going to say,
2: if that was true, that would be <laughs> such a wrinkle. It would be kind of like, how, what do I do? Um... She's standing in front of one of one of Rome's fountains, maybe the Trevi foun- fountain. Okay, the yeah, Trevi fountain, the most
1: famous fountain in the world, maybe. And she's
2: smiling, and you're saying how, and your your postscript on it was how she, she helps. Ex- yeah, let explain? Right, yeah, explain. So it.
1: literally, and you know, you know what Johnny and I have done. Throughout our our careers, you have to start off at the bare bottom. You have to struggle, live on couches, and you literally need the help of your friends and family, Mm -hmm. sometimes for you to eat, to sleep in a bed, whatever. And I had made that decision to be a stand-up comic and an actor, and I said, All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna not gonna work. I gotta focus on stand-up. And there were moments in my life where I had nothing, but no money, Mm -hmm. and I was like, I had nowhere to stay, and my parents would would bail me out. My my mom specifically was like, she'd give me you know, she wouldn't tell my dad. She'd just, like, send me $200. She'd wire me 200 bucks, whatever. And then, then as I got older and I started getting a little more stable and more focused in my career and things are starting to happen, I still didn't have enough money for the life that I lived in the sense that I would fuck up and I'd get tickets and they'd, they'd boot my car and then tow it. And she'd send You've me been the booted. money. you booted? Three times. I'll show you a picture. That's I That's a one. special
2: kind of person, I feel like, to get booted.
1: Yeah, a fucking degenerate. That's <laughs> what it is. It's not like <laughs> you're like, you, you said know, it. I I'm gifted. I'm gifted at not reading parking structures right. signs, but I so she she would help me and she would bail me out and she always did it and but there was always a, a contingency thing which was like which is like I'll give you the money, but you're taking my Italy money and I was like I was like one day I'm going to take you to Italy she's like yeah right whatever you know your lips to God's ears so the last four years I I've been very I'm very grateful for the success that I've had mm-hmm. and. You know, I went home to visit my mom, and she had – short story short. Where's home, though? It's in Maryland. Well, okay. it, I was, I'm was i from the Washington, D.C. area, but right. my mom now lives on the eastern shore. My mom has had some health problems. She had uh, breast cancer. They caught it early, removed it. She had to do a little bit of radiation, and then they caught lung cancer, but it was literally just a nodule on her lungs. Right. She got it so quickly, so early, they removed it. But she was like beat up from the surgery. And so that was surgery was in February. And I went to visit her in August. And when I got home, Johnny, like, this is August. This is this is fucking, you know, six months. She's still like in bed and she's just like like in pain. And you're like, Jesus. And my mom's always kind of like a martyr. And I'm not saying she was faking it or this, that and the other thing. But it was like, man. And I, I couldn't imagine she was still like laid up like that so I was like you know what and I told my sister I was like I want to take mom to Italy I was like I'm doing well like I'll I'll fucking if she can't walk I'll put her in a wheelchair and I'll wheel her ass around wherever she wants to go and then my sister uh, surprised my mom too mm-hmm. uh, and was like you know what I'm going to go I'm going to go too I, I'll pay for me and my, and my husband and the kids but you pay you just take care of mom I'll get you know get the flights do everything and we'll set up the trip you just send us money and that'll be it so, that was it. That was her dream trip. That was to go to Rome. We were going to go to Rome and to Venice. And also, you just have to keep in mind, my mom, you know, she got this wheelchair, and it's literally the wrong kind of wheelchair what to it get What does mean the wrong kind? She got, like, one that they use at hospitals to take you from your bed to the bathroom and back.
2: So, it's not very comfortable?
1: Not. No, it's not. <laughs> it's probably very comfortable, but um. not, it's not built so it's oh. like, you know, there's big wheels on the side, and then yeah. there's real tiny ones that, like, squiggle around. Right. They're, they're not built to go over the oldest city in the world that wasn't wheelchair accessible. Right. Like, you know, they probably killed people that were crippled back in, just, in, in old Roman Empire you days. You just stay where you were. Yeah, that was it. You we'll stay, come to you. Or they put you in a wheelbarrow, and they wheeled you out, and then, you know, they gave you your, your, your food for the day and your ale. I don't know if any of
2: this. No, is, that's right. true. That's that's,
1: that's 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 true. I'm pretty sure. So so we you know we basically on the on the first day of the trip like we went to um, the Vatican City and because of the wheelchair we got in bella, very easily. Bella, molto bella. It was so bella. It was so molto <laughs> bellissimo. It was so bellissimo. Bravo. But then I'm like exhausted. I'd been traveling like. 16 hours straight the day before. you We woke up so butt crack at dawn because we were trying to meet my sister, and my sister's super cheap, so even though she's a doctor and has money, she doesn't want to take cabs or Uber. She just wants to take the train, and I was like, well, me and my mom can't do that, so we'll meet you there, and I'm wheeling her around, and I'm pushing her. My back hurts from the flight. My knee hurts because it's just old, and then we went and finally sat down to get food, and I'm, dude, I'm exhausted. Like right. I'm like, fuck, man. On the inside, <clears throat> I'm saying to myself... I don't know if I'll be able to get through a week of this, pushing this woman around. Like, I'm going to do my best to hide it, but it's going to be tough. And I'm finally getting some food in my stomach. And then the Washington Post sends me a text because I get the updates on, like, big news. And it's like, you know, coronavirus outbreak in in Italy. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? The day you got there. Like, the day we got there. And, And so what we did was we, after that, we went back to the hotel. At the hotel, the apartment that we were running, and we were like, we talked about it. And my sister, we started doing all the research, and they said, it's only in Milan. Right, the but north. But they think it might have spread to Venice, too. So we were like, we are supposed to go to Venice. Are we going to go? We decided against it. Um, and we just kind of then just, at that point, just stayed in Rome. And from what our understanding, it hadn't gotten down there Um it's been over two weeks. I I feel great. I haven't felt sick. Yeah. My mom, who's like the, who's like super susceptible to sickness yeah. shit, and if it's she so would scary. get it, she'd be that would be like a rap on her because mm-hmm. she's got so many health problems. He, I can tell you this is the funniest shit though, Johnny. Excuse me. So it's like day four, and at this point now now it's like we're, the the news is amping up about day not four just in Italy. Italy in Italy, but dude, we go to this pizza place, right, dude. Uh, And it's small. It's the most delicious pizza. Chris Garcia recommended it. Big ups to Chris. It's called like Pizza Bonchi.
2: Chris is uh, always great with recommendations.
1: Oh, you know who else was good too and hooked us up? Mateo Lane. You know Mateo? I do. Mateo hooked us up with some dope restaurants. But... We go to this pizza place, and there's like five American guys. We haven't talked to them. I could just hear them talking, so I knew they were American. They were standing over by the side. We're all packed in there. My well, mom... Hey, did you freak of hide the, the jets? <laughs> and, <laughs> hey, what are you worried about? What's going on in America? So my mom like literally is like, Josh, I'm going to go outside. And she has this horrible like old smoker's call. So she doesn't
2: smoke anymore? Not she...
1: anymore, but it's like... <laughs> Yeah, tongue comes out your like, impression spit, of her is oh my. spits flying <laughs> and I've never I mean it was like everybody <laughs> in the pizza place froze and covered whatever they were eating oh my god and I had to be like she smokes she used to smoke like <laughs> it's a smoke is called. that's oh. all it is she yeah. has asthma It's but yeah so we got back and getting into the country was, was easy it was like the guy asked us where we went we were like Rome and he goes how do you feel and I'm like I feel good He's like, if you get sick, will you, will you go to the hospital? I'm like, sure. He cool. Just let us right in.
2: I wonder if that's if it. Can't be the same way now, but also there really isn't a whole lot they can even do. There really, there's nothing. Like they could take your temperature, but you might not have a fever. You might
1: not. Have and that's a scary. Signs. That's what's. I mean, that's what's good. Or you had, you were sick for like an hour, mm-hmm. and then you started feeling better. Because everything I'm reading about it is like. Like, there was uh, there was a guy that was on one of the cruise ships. He's like, I had a fever for eight hours, and then I was fine.
2: I think it really makes sense that this virus, <clears throat> if you think about what a virus is, it makes sense that this virus is something that has been born out of so much... Uh, the medical community is so good at fighting viruses that this is a virus that's formed because of that. And so it's basically like a thing where it's like a bushfire. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be fires in the desert in some place where there's not enough rain. Sometimes they're devastating because there hasn't been enough fire. I feel like that's what's going on right now. So we have the the viral equivalent of the fires in Australia, because and they're
1: just wiping out. Yeah, waste.
2: It makes sense because it's like, I mean, I feel like my viewpoint on it is very uh, kind of grim and it's sort of uh, nihilistic. But it seems in a way. I mean, I'm saying this right now. It's I'm going on the record it's March 12th. It's afternoon of March 12th. Disneyland just closed. That's the biggest news. It's like It seems like it may be in some strange way probably like a good thing because it's going to like wake, wake people up so much. It's going to like um, – it's not affecting children at all. And it's just going to change – I feel like it's going to change people's perspectives so much because right now I feel like I, there's never a time in my life I can think back and think – Oh yeah, this is similar to that. <laughs>
1: you know what I mean, and that's why I it's think it's nothing. And I think that's why it's so scary right now because you don't you, you know you're just like okay, well this will blow over. Everybody right. just keeps thinking like over throughout the years. You I remember you'd see Ebola, but it never, and there would be a case in America, but yeah. it would just it would just suddenly go away. And then it was like swine flu and czars or whatever it is, and all these different things, and then they just went away. And this one just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And because we didn't act, now it's a problem. And now, in my belief, and what I was told, somebody sent me a message this morning. They have somebody um I don't know if they work. I got I still got to call him
0: mm-hmm.
2: who
1: sent me the message, but he sent me the audio. It's like a it's like a voicemail recording of somebody who had called him and said that, you know, they have somebody that works at the Pentagon and in different, you know, government agencies and they said we're going to be on a strict like 30-day quarantine, where they're going to just shut it down. That's the only way for it to go away. Hey, you
3: guys, just wanted to give you a crucial update. So my cousin that works for the Pentagon, my aunt that lives in D.C., and my friend that works for the government um, in Knoxville, between last night and today, I've had three people notify me that has not been announced yet.
0: This message is not endorsed by live to tape Podcast.
3: But the US is about to go on a four-week quarantine, which means you cannot leave your home. You can't go to anywhere that you can do sales transactions like grocery stores, shopping, movies, anything like that. So in about two weeks, one to two weeks, they're going to announce this shutdown. Once the shutdown is in place or the warning, you know, everything from the grocery store is going to be cleared out. At this time, it's critical that you stock up on canned goods, frozen foods, things that you'll be able to survive off of two weeks from, or, or four weeks for, toilet tissue, paper towels. It's bigger than just Clorox and bleach. You got to be able to feed the family.
0: And now we return to podcast programming.
3: You
1: yeah. got to quell it. You got to just stop it. Um, and so I went to the supermarket today. I saw that. I told you, Gerald. I was supposed to have Gerald Casali. He's still uh, going to do it. Uh, I do a podcast, uh, which is very difficult to do, to book, because it's not like I, I have three other episodes It stacked. is, but it's
2: also the coolest podcast Thanks, to book.
1: I, it's fucking, it, I'm not going to lie to you. I did. It is. I did, you know, go to Perry Farrell's house and jump on his trampoline. That
2: picture is so great. Oh, yeah. man, I love that. It's like you guys get along. Something about it, it seems we like did. you guys are good as well. We really did. Well, yeah. we had
1: a very. So, all right. So, we, we he's a true it. weirdo. That guy's a like good. Oh, a, a fun, Like, but a lunatic in the best way. I, I a anytime
2: I say someone's weird, if I say someone's a nut or a weirdo or a fucking crazy, it's always in my from my perspective. It's the highest compliment.
1: That's well, how I feel. I always. think to be to to come up with certain things. Even you, it's like watching you and watching you do stand up. You're a lunatic. It's yeah, great well, what on. you're doing up there. It's incredible. You're thinking outside the box, and Perry did too. We went to his house. I signed an NDA, but I don't give a fuck. Nothing really happened. It's just listen. We had to cut out. He was on one about Trump, and he was like, just everything. we you know, he's like, and Trump's doing this and Trump's doing that, and I'm just like, okay. So so, uh, tell me more about Brian Eno. And yeah, he's just man.
2: like, there's something that's kind of sad. I see a lot now is you see a lot of old rockers who are obsessed with Trump. And all I can feel is like, oh, it's just too bad because he's not worth your energy. Yeah. You know, like, They're like obsessed, obsessed.
1: Everything they think about is about what Trump said, what Trump did. Do you like, know why they are? Because there's they're, they're, And this is what I talked to him about. Right? I, said, I said, how much CNN are you watching? They're watching it goes, nonstop. He goes nonstop. i I I'm just so mad. And I go, dude, you're like me. That's the way I used to be, and then I shut it off, and I got exponentially happier. I watch the, I read the newspaper every morning, but I, but I try to avoid it. Like I don't live on. I'll read the newspaper and get my info there before I put on CNN. It's devastating. Yeah, and so everything
2: they write, everything, every word they use is for titillation, and it's so. uh, Yeah, they're trying to keep us watching. They're so good at
1: it. So, so, so I say to him, I'm like, "How much you watch?" He's like, "I'm watching it all day," and I go, "Dude, you gotta turn it off." And I was like, "You'll be, you'll be so much happier, man," because I could hear my mom and him. Because my mom just lives on MSNBC, and I told him that. And I'm like, "So, uh, so that you should just turn it off." And he goes, "He goes, thank you, Josh. I will." <laughs> and then he goes, "Do you want to go jump on my trampoline?" And I'm like, "Of course!" <laughs> and then we went and jumped on the trampoline, and it was magical. Is he's he's sober now, right? Or no? Because or... we got high together. We smoked a joint together.
2: Well, that's the other thing is I've heard people, <clears throat> I've met some people in recovery who are they were heroin addicts but they still drink and smoke weed and they say oh i'm sober because well, they're, they're sober. by comparison
1: yeah i mean listen you know heroin in is is like the drug that's the hardest thing to get off of in the world and so i think a lot of people might not have had an alcohol problem yeah. You know, they met maybe didn't have a pot problem, and and so they can manage all of that. Right. But heroin is something that once you get hooked, you can't. That's just like it just takes you, and just you'll do stupid shit. You'll you'll ruin your life and your credit and your family and all that other shit.
2: And you're sober, right?
1: I'm uh, what I like to call L.A. sober, okay. which means I take mushrooms, I smoke pot, and I'll do <laughs> some other drugs, but only if you offer them. I won't pay. For okay. It. Yeah.
2: But you did. You were. You have been sober. Like. From anything else harder for a long time, right? Didn't you go through? that? No, like well,
1: yeah. So what what had happened was I, I well I stopped drinking 14 years ago. Okay. I, I got I got three DUIs in my 20s, all two years apart, and then I realized I can't drink anymore, so I stopped. And then I moved to L.A. Mm-hmm. And then I got. Um, and then I got a job. I started drinking right when I moved to LA, but immediately, like my cousin and his buddies, who I was like hanging out with, who were kind of like putting me up and mm-hmm. kind of like introducing me to Los Angeles, were like, "We're like, hey man, you uh, you should stop drinking." So I was like, "You're right." So I always like painkillers a little bit, so I dabble in those. And then I was working on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and we. What were you
2: doing? On that show? I was a
1: PA for the first two seasons. <laughs> oh my God, so I had no is, idea, dude! Uh, Holy shit, man! That's so funny. I used to babysit. I can't believe this. I used to babysit <sighs> Ke- Kendall and Kylie. I used to. They used like, to have me. I was. They were babies. Well, because they, dude, they were nine and seven. Uh-huh. I think that was around the age that they were, and they were just so young, and they would, they were just loud kids that wanted to play. So when we'd yeah. be shooting in the house, they'd be like, "Josh, go." Go in the room with them and just play video games with them. Keep them entertained and keep them in here. So I spent – dude, I remember when Kendall got – we were shooting in Breckenridge, Colorado in the second season. And Kendall got altitude sickness, Uh like from being – the lack of air and all that shit. And I had to take her to the urgent care. And then I had to get her home and put her in bed. And it's just like – never would have thought what happened to them. Yeah, yeah. Or who would ever thought social media would would get as big as it was, right. or it has become? But it's just like it's insane, dude. It's insane to like see Kylie have kids. Just kids. So I think she has like two of them. I don't see. I don't. I don't, I don't keep, keep, up, keep like up, up with the. Christians. And I was doing. Well, you know, if you want to, if you want to, <laughs> it's very easy. Wednesdays at nine <laughs> Got on E. It. Um, But the funny thing was I was at Donnell Rowling's birthday party at the Mm -hmm. Hollywood Improv. I hadn't seen either one of them in like, you know, almost 10 years, it feels like. And I was standing in the back and Kendall was there with Blake Griffin, who she was dating. And and I didn't say anything to her. Mm -hmm. I looked at her a little bit, just like, wow, it's just like, you know, it's It's insane. It's insane. Just that I that I was a part of that of building that empire. That's
2: so funny. And
1: she kept looking at me, but like one of those looks, not like yeah, oh, wh- I know who is this guy, but like, like I think familiar. I know that guy, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I so what had happened was I was working on the TV show mm. and we were shooting in Mexico and I was dropping Kim, Chloe, and Courtney off at the airport in Cabo San Lucas. And as I got out of my the work van, or like you know, like a passenger van to drop them off, I got hit by a car. Like this, was, this was, was when this, you were PA. When I was a PA. This Mexican woman like like <sighs> took out my front leg, took out my you legs. Have,
2: you have like a you just have like a, a Josh Adam Myers, like a timeline. You know how they have stuff because just I thought I knew a good deal about you. There's stuff you telling me now, where I just can't fucking. It's
1: just crazy to me. I've lived five lives, bro. You really have had. Yeah but i mean that's what I, but also like but to be honest with you with even with all the crazy shit that i've done in my life it's like this is like i like this portion right now has been right. my favorite out of all of it the only part that i think was just as good cuz i love the security now i love that i don't you know if i if i make a mistake i correct it like i i pay all my bills all mm-hmm. that shit just all the shit that you always like a normal functioning member of society would do right but there is something to be said about when i was like 19 years old and was a raver and felt invincible like i was never gonna die and just who was your favorite dj back then oh man i mean that's a there was a guy named jay smooth out of philadelphia he was a drum and bass dj i know
2: i've heard of jay smooth
1: jay smooth i was a big drum and bass guy because i didn't never i could never get into techno
2: that's so funny because i was the opposite i was really into techno really i was a dj man i played fucking i collected records for years and DJed techno and house stuff really hardcore i was so you were happy hardcore no i don't like happy hardcore <laughs> i like the actual <laughs> hardcore shit like um i'm trying to give an example of the stuff i like to listen to i played it a bunch on the podcast before um like a lot of like mental minimalist like really heavy german techno or like detroit stuff
1: Ooh, try- bad boy bill
2: bad boy bill might be a good example i guess like for me the best was probably like... Um, Carl Cox. Carl Cox. I love Carl. Carl Cox is what got me into techno because I got Carl Cox's F-A-C-T, Future Alliance of Communication Technology, is a compilation he put out. My dad bought it for me in London. He's I was asking... He asked him to buy me some really cool techno, and he's like, Johnny, I don't have to tell you. The guy had black fingernails, so I think it's probably good. And I listened to that. like That's how I learned about Fat Boy Slim. I learned about Green right Velvet. Right about
1: now. This was probably, Bonzo,
2: This brother. is 19... 19- Ninety five, probably or ninety six. Oh, I got. Into, I didn't get into
1: ninety seven.
2: I got so into that shit early on, uh, but the stuff—the stuff I got into the most—I so go to raves was a lot of like because I lived in Minnesota. Yeah. And we go see uh, a lot of like acid techno stuff like this. This is like shit like this. This is Woody McBride. They used to do shows at this place called the Quest Club, which is this club in Minneapolis that Prince used to own. Mm. And man, that shit was the fucking it was the
1: best, best time of my best, life. I'll best say this, ever. I'll say this without a doubt. I-, I love the security. I love that everything that I'm doing right now, I love it. But dude, when I when raves in the in the late '90s, best was the the hottest girls I'd ever seen in my life. Sex was like just thrown at you, and it was just you dancing. So you were them.
2: a little bit older than me. So when I was there, I was kind of like.
1: Well, what's going on? You You're know. You're the young kid there. That, like, I think so. Were we, you a candy raver? No, I, did I, we, we didn't do any
2: drugs at all.
1: Okay. Well, I mean, did oh, you wear? We were, did you wear like the jinkos? No, and not at the all, man. No. You dressed like a normal person. Like a
2: normal. I was. We were like that. Was sort of our thing was being super normal and going to these places that were always ravers. But we were into like the really hardcore shit. Yeah. Like just the do 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 that kind of shit.
1: Yeah. I I got introduced to in the raves when I went to Amsterdam. So I oh back, like so, Dutch new energy. So well here here's what happened. Okay. So I had I had um, when I was 18 years old, I inherited forty thousand dollars from my great uncle, right? he died. He left me forty. This is a perfect soundtrack for what I'm saying. I know. And then I gave half the money to my parents, and then I took the other half and spent it as fast as I could. Uh, I spent two thousand dollars on fleeces.
2: $2,000 on fleeces. In one day, I
1: bought all assorted places. From of where? Tommy, well, from Hex. Hex and Woody's. Okay. And like, you know, the clothing stores. This is stores. in D.C.? This area? is in Maryland. Okay. This is, uh, the D.C. area, yeah. And uh, so I I just was kind of like, I was this 18-year-old kid that just wanted to get laid, and I had a friend that was in the military, and he was like, dude, if you want to get laid, go to Europe. So I convinced a buddy who was selling pot to go to Europe with me. Uh-huh. And so we just bought a ticket to England, and we were just there for like six and a half months. Like, just backpacking on, like, $20 a day, living in campsites, hitting all the touristy places. It was great. And, I'm, and the last, like, three, three and a half weeks of the trip, we were in Amsterdam. That's pretty hard. That is hard.
2: Yeah. That's this band called Nassim Bluten I think they're from... Australia or some shit so you were in a, you were in
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh I knew that was Nasa Bluton yeah oh yeah I know Nasa Bluton drop I know I, Nasa Bluton when, I, I, hear NASA NASA when I, I hear it drop
2: so you were in uh, Amsterdam so for in a couple Amsterdam weeks and that was
1: the first place I did ecstasy and I was like, this is great. I didn't go to a rave, but mm-hmm. I had just taken ecstasy and loved it. 19. Yeah. No, 18. And 18. then I got back to America, and I got a job at this restaurant called Mozzarella's the American Cafe, which then eventually got shortened to Mozzarella's. Then it got changed back to Mozzarella's the American Cafe, and then it just became the American Cafe. Okay. And it was like a Ruby Tuesdays. You know what I'm talking about? was like, like a, a of, mall restaurant. A lot of mozzarella, though. A lot of mozzarella. They used to have some decent food there. They had this. They had some good pasta dishes that were, you know... Cooked by guys on on work release Um, (laughs) But there was Like a group of young kids that that were serving There and this kid uh, Fuck what's his name Tim Tim Cavanaugh he goes, hey, man, do you want to come with me to Buzz on Friday night? He's mm-hmm. like, because he heard me talk about ecstasy, and he was like, yeah, you can you can do it there. It's like, it's a rave. And I was like, oh, I've never been to a rave. He said, well, no, just come with me. And I went to You this... didn't go to any raves when you were overseas? We, I mean, we went to nightclubs, but nothing that was like. Like a warehouse. Yeah, nothing like that. It's not yeah. like, it wasn't like, if you go to London, you go to <clears throat> Ministry of Sound or like. Yeah. Or like. You know, like uh, bar rumba or any that has that real specifically. Like this is where you dance. These are the
2: best speakers in all of North London, right here. (laughs) If you want to get, if you want to get with the birds, get a little bit of Charlie. It's a 10000 ten thousand pound clips right here. (laughs) You can't be bigger than a fucking car. Big ups, big ups, big Big ups. You have to get two lawyers just to pull these (laughs) fucking things. They're so big.
1: So, so we, so we. We go to, he takes me to Buzz, and right. that was my first rave. And you walk in, man, and Buzz was like the biggest weekly party in the country. Mm-hmm. It's, it was one of the most respected weekly shows or raves in, in 1990. In 19, well, for years it had been that way. I'd say, so when I had gotten into it, it was '98, was when I went to my first one. And I went, it was like, dude, it was just like, Everything just changed in my life like it was like whatever I was wearing it was like, no, I'm gonna dress like all the ravers now like this is my shit because dude you you're this young kid man you walk into this underground thing, you're also very experimental with drugs well, It feels great because it's everything
2: the everything's told what to do you can you know who to be like if you wear these pants, wear this shirt, you fit in and it feels really good. It feels great. And it's not like I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's like a great thing actually for someone that age to Find a scene like
1: that. Yeah, and I mean, and also the motto of it is peace, love, unity, respect. Plur, baby. Plur,
2: dude. Plur. That's
1: that's like that's (laughs) but that's like dude, that's some shit that we
2: should be teaching in fucking elementary school. Yeah, it is. It is a great thing. I we did a lot of making fun of candy ravers and stuff, but but when it came down to it, there's always there's a lot of beefing when I was in college among like DJs and that whole scene, but you know, it was never. It's never more than just like shit talk. When it came down to everyone meet up and yeah.
1: everyone everyone saw about plur. The drum and bass kids fucked with the techno kids, the techno kids fucked with the happy hardcore, and then there were the yeah. goth people. Dude, I remember that because we used to cause what happened was I went to that Friday night and I was like, this is the best place I've ever been to in my life, so I'm gonna go again. And then I was like, Well, I want to do this on a Saturday night. Well, you can't go there on Saturday night, so you gotta go to the edge. So I went to the edge, and then you were like, Well, I wanna go out on a Thursday night too. So then you go to Tracks. Tracks was a gay club every night of the week, except for Thursdays. Uh-huh. It was like mixed and there was like deep, like, you know, like rave DJs there. And that was like where I first like met and realized gay people were cool because you, you grow up with these fucking like homo- homophobic, like, you know, football friends that I right. grew up with. You know, and and you just you don't know, and then you walk in there and you're like, holy shit, dude! Do the gay dudes? No, do they do they dance and are having a good time? But they do more drugs than the straight people, and they're Way they're more. very like you know they'll hand them out. Yeah, I mean it's
2: well because back I think a lot of that came out of the whole AIDS crisis in the '80s. Cause that's basically where house music comes from. Really? Like, essentially, there's a lot. I mean, I'm speaking. Of, I don't I don't fully know about this, but from what I know, from a little I know. There's a lot of the early internet, which was built by gay people. Uh, a lot of the early use groups and stuff were built because it was like a place for people to connect anonymously with people, you know, because n- there was no other way to f- to find out someone was gay. I mean, there w- obviously, throughout history there has been, but this is a way, it was like a protected community. So there's a lot of the early internet that was built. A lot of those uh, message-, message boards were built by gay men and then also the the dance scene in New York, like people like Larry Levan and stuff like that, they were like the most preeminent DJs of the time, and these are all these are all huge gay parties
1: and stuff. I I, I believe it. I, I believe it because you, you got to figure like especially there's so many people living in these small towns, and then the yeah. internet exists, and then they could connect with people mm-hmm. and be like, oh, I'm I'm
2: I'm normal. Such an outlet too, because if you if you're living if you're gay in the '80s, the AIDS, AIDS epidemic was so. Scary that I think a lot of people felt like they weren't going to live very long, so they did party hard as fuck. Like Larry Levon, I think he died of AIDS actually. Really? And he was—I mean, there's, there's a ton of people in his whole group that were—they that were sick and they—they they fucking partied like motherfuckers, sure. right? because of it. Sure.
1: I—I uh, mean, I partied literally Wednesday through Saturday. It was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. At a and and Saturday most of the time I was at a club and then there'd be like house parties and it was just this incredible. I mean, listen, I I would never want to go back to that, but I mean, just at that age, oh yeah, just the people that I met, the 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 girls that I met, the the fucking fun times. But also, I mean, I. You know, I fucking got into a horrible car accident. You know, because my friend was driving me home from a rave and fell asleep uh, driving my mom's Jeez. car, and and we crashed. You know, on the highway, and it, you weren't just, hurt
2: though. He was he hurt either?
1: No, we were fine. I mean, it was we never didn't even get in trouble for it. I mean, we I we just told my parents that we slipped on ice. It was like because it, it started hailing that yeah. night. Uh Or not hailing. What is it like uh, sleeting? Um. But but I mean, it was. It was it was literally like I had dropped out of out of college, mm-hmm. and I just went to Europe, came back, and then just spent like you said that you said nihilism. It was a very nihilistic style of life. I didn't care whether I lived or died. I would mix drugs. I would just hook up, have unprotected. It's like I'm like in shock that I do not have a kid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Just the stupid shit that I would do that I'm not dead, dude. There were so many times that it could have been like that. I would probably like just like a pubic hair away from overdosing. Uh, but still look back at it now so, and, and came out of it. I'm like, best time of my life. Like, oh, what would you have overdosed on if you did? I remember one night I was at Buzz and then I was selling K. <laughs> I sell K. I loved ketamine. And I would get a vial and I'd cook it up. And the then liquid. I, the I get the vial uh-huh. of liquid of ketaset, and then I cook it up in a microwave and then I bag it up and I was like, all right, so it costs $40 for that vial. I just need to sell two bags, you know, maybe a couple extra, maybe like three bags so I can pay back the 40 that I spent on the vial and then I could buy a $20 e-pill and then I can like do some K and then I can take a pill at the end. And I remember I met some guy, and I'm just talking to him. And we're, like, sitting on the floor. That's how dope it was. You're just sitting on the floor, and like, yeah. people are, like, stepping over you. And, you know, everybody's sweaty and gross. And he was just like, hey, can, I'll give, you, I'll trade you a pill if you give me a bump of your K. And so we, he gave me a pill, and I gave him a bump of his K. And I remember talking to him. And then the next thing I know, I just uh, open my eyes, and I'm in the backseat of my friend's car. Right. My friends are all, like, smacking my face, like, like oh, now I got I, to. I literally have, like a chocolate candy bar, like a it, like, in my mouth, and I'm like, ugh, like, what the hell? And they're like, dude, you were like, we had to carry you out we thought we thought you were like overdosing.
2: So, do well, you know what happened? It was just like no, a no super idea. strong pill. No
1: idea. It's just probably it's probably just a, the mix of the ketamine bad... and and the e. It just it just probably a very dopey pill. Yeah. Because back then, remember, it was like it was either a... the pill was cut with with like
2: it was called a roll for a reason. Yeah, because yeah.
1: it was you didn't know if it was cut with meth. It could have been cut with heroin. It could have uh-huh. been cut with with coke. Like who knows? And it was just, I just ended up in the car, and I mean. I mean, I'm just talking about in the rave days. I mean, there was a night that I that my friend we were talking about that place, the American Cafe. Right. There were all these guys that were on work release that worked in the kitchen. And one of them, it was a really sad story too. He was actually a server this dude, but this dude was like six foot five, really good looking dude, but he has this big scar on his face. Uh he was in work release because and he was like the wide receiver of, of Damascus High School. And he was like all state. And then he started partying and he wrecked his car. And I think, I don't know if he killed somebody or something, but he was like, he was literally like in jail. And then, but they sent him out after a certain amount of time where he could work and he had to go back to a halfway house. Mm-hmm. And he still partied too. And he was like, he just, one day at work, just handed me a free like eight ball of cocaine. Yeah. And I did it all by myself that night. Like literally, and I remember, like going into the bathroom of this. I left the guy's house. I was at my friend's house. We were all hanging out, and I left his house so I could go to like an Exxon that was down the street to use the bathroom mm-hmm. so I could do some cocaine. And I did like all of it, like in the bathroom, huge, like like maybe like fucking like I don't want to say an inch thick line of coke, just huge line. Let's and huge. eight balls, a lot of coke. Huge line. And I remember being at my house and I had friends over. And I mean, I was like up against the wall like, this is it, dude. Like my heart was like racing. Um, how old are you? Like 21 at this point? 22? Tw- 19. 19. 19-year-old 19 kid.
2: So how much longer did you do that kind of stuff?
1: Well, that's such a weird question because it's it's always been in waves. I, I stopped doing, really doing consistent ecstasy Right around that time. And mm-hmm. ketamine only lasted for like a year. And then I would just do coke and drink like a normal person. You know what I mean? Like you, you drink a little bit, do some blow, that's it. And then it progressed when I when I got to school in Baltimore. Because I was drinking and I just... Baltimore there's like nothing to do except go to bars at night, get Baltimore's fucked nasty. Up. It's 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 really it's not na- it's there's nasty elements well, na- but there's nasty elements in Los Angeles.
2: It's nasty like New Orleans is nasty. Yes. or I'll say it's that. It's good, but it's also it's pretty hairy and it's yeah, it's it's not like other places.
1: So I moved to Baltimore to, to finish college and I met a group of guys that were just my homies and, and we would just drink and do coke. And mm-hmm. and I graduated from college, and then I moved back home to save money to move here, and I get a regular job. I get a job working for this TV show. But why did DC. you want to move here? I wanted to, do, I wanted to be a comic. Okay. I, I had done, like, two open mics. I just always wanted to do it since yeah. I was, like, six years old, and I had done music and shit like that, but I was like, no, I want to act. I want to do this. My calling. What I've been saying I'm right. going to do my whole life, I got to try it. And so I... Get a job at this TV show, and I'm, I'm living in my parents' house, and I get my third DUI. Excuse me. And then that was it. Like, I realized in that moment, I was like, I can't drink anymore. And if I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to do Coke. So that was 2000. That was December 8th, 2006. But then, like a month later, I'm sober for a full month, and it's like the beginning of January. I... I was at the gym, and I was, like, working out, and I, like, I'm doing this, like, back exercise, and Uh I tweaked a muscle in my neck, and it was on a Sunday, because I had to work on the Sundays, and so I leave work early, go to this urgent care, and they give me delauded. And and I urgent always, an urgent care. Well, it's like an it's like an urgent care slash hospital, Shady Grove Urgent Care Hospital. So Shady's like, right. It's dude. It was. Well, they they were the ones that got me hooked. They gave Damn me. Damn, it's
2: dilaudid. Me, you can't get dilaudid if you have like lose a fucking arm. This is back
1: in the day when you got it. Just like they were handing that shit out. That's they, crazy
2: because it doesn't seem that long ago. Two thousand six is not. I mean, I guess that sounds crazy to me that, that dude, they it, would give it, that out.
1: It, let me tell you something. Yeah. Only the rules only changed. Fucking recently, I, in two thousand in two thousand and twelve, you I could dude. I used to do shady shit to get painkillers out here. Ooh. I used to call in fake prescriptions to the Rite Aids and fucking CVSs. You around. can do that? Not anymore, but you used to be able to. Wow. And I used to just when I was like uh, an addict, and I couldn't didn't want to go to a drug dealer in downtown L.A. to buy. You know, like it was like $3 a pill for a Viking and ES when I found out I could call, get 30 of them for six bucks.
2: You mean by calling and pretending to be a doctor? Yeah. But don't you have to give a prescription number?
1: Nope. Yeah. I would just, because I, I used to, all right, so I used to go, so. I, I, let me just catch it up to that. So okay. I started dabbling in painkillers. Because you hurt
2: your back. D- hurt you back I
1: don't want to drink. So I'm doing painkillers, and painkillers make me feel like I'm having a good time. Yeah. I'm going out. I'm meeting girls. gives me energy. gives me confidence. <sighs> so then I moved to L.A. I started drinking for a little bit. I, I My friends say to me, if you don't stop, you're going to have to move home. So I stop drinking. I get hit by the car.
2: But you were drinking... Like you say, you start drinking, but you weren't just drinking. You were like partying pretty hard. I was partying. I was partying
1: with friends. Like I thought, but I would always drink more and do more coke. We were all doing it, but I was doing it to the point where they were like, "Dude, right?" Like I always remember. It was funny because when I was in Italy, I ran into this guy. Well, he—I found out he was out there, and Mm -hmm. he was a male model that used to be my my cousin's neighbor here in Hollywood. And he really—he did this thing where one night he just like knocks on the apartment that I was subletting, and he's like, "Hey, man." He's like, you know, I just want to tell you, dude, it's like like if you're going to party the way you're partying, you might as well not be here, man. He's like, you, you came out here to work and to focus uh-huh. like you need to focus, man. You're not at a, you're not in like the Hollywood Hills in a mansion yet. He's like, and if you if that's your goal, where you, the way you're doing it, you're going to move back home in like three months. And so I was like, you're right. And then I stopped drinking. And then I got hit by the car on keeping up with the Kardashians. And then they started giving me painkillers because I was like... So how
2: bad did you get hurt? Not
1: bad at all. I just milked it. I milked Uh, it. And I was like... And I thought they were going to fire me anyway because I... It's
2: also a thing where when you get hurt, it's like that thing your brain is telling you, no, I need these. When you don't, you know... Part of you does actually think you do. But the other part is like... It knows, like,
1: oh, you know, I should take these. I just wanted to get high. Yeah. That was it. I just wanted to get high. Opiates made me feel very confident, feel like I was, like, on top of the world. I I, I could talk to anybody. And so I started dabbling in them again. And I was, like, kind of, like, lonely in Los Angeles. Like, I was working for a TV show. I didn't really have any real group of friends yet. Mm I hadn't started stand-up. And so I would, like either go to a drug dealer to get them that this guy introduced me to, or I would, you know, go doctor shopping. And I'd go to, like, doctors and say, you know, hey, I hurt my back, you know, yeah. I got to work. And they'd give me painkillers. Um, and then, as it got, like, where the TV shows ended and I started doing stand-up comedy, I, I really I didn't have any money. So I just, one day, I was just like, fuck it, man. I was like, I've got this prescription for for like, you know, like a muscle relaxer. And I had the DEA number. I had the California license number, had all the doctor's information. So I was like, I'm gonna fucking try it. And I called a Walgreens that is in Hollywood. And I was like, you know, prescription for the 30 Vicodin ES directions, take one tablet every four to six hours as needed for pain, one refill. And then I waited an hour and i was i've never been more scared in my life and i walked up i gave i used my real name mm-hmm. too just in case and they were like here you go and i was like holy shit like that worked easy and then i just was calling them in like every almost every other day i was like every few days i would call in 60 viking and es from like a right aid mm-hmm. or cvs you know and I, could, I would hit the same one you know i'd hit one then i hit another one then i would hit another one then another then i'd go right back and then i would like start using and i started like you know just making up fake names and i was using different comedians names that i knew and i was wow. just like you know picking up a prescription for tony baker or whatever the fuck it was and then fine then i started getting really sloppy with it and, and then one time I go... I tell this story. I've told this story on a podcast before, so you've heard it. Who gives a fuck? I, I doubt it. You haven't? I'm going to tell it to you. No. So I call in the prescription at the Longs. It used to be a Longs on the corner of uh, Laurel Canyon and Ventura. And I call in the prescription... And I'm in line waiting and there's this really cute girl next to me and we start talking and we're flirting. And then, and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to ask this girl out. But I was like, here, hold on for a second. I was like, I'm up next. I'm going to pick up my prescription. Mm -hmm. And I walk up and I'm like, yeah, I was like, I'm here to pick up a prescription. They're like, well, the guy's like, what is your name? And I give him the fake name. Mm -hmm. And then he starts looking at me and he's like, stay right here. And he keeps his eyes on me as he's like fiddling with papers and Mm -hmm. stuff. And then he just goes, attention, everyone in the pharmacy. Everybody looks at him, like all like 20 people. And he goes, this man right here called in a fake prescription for for Vicodin. He's like, if I ever see you in here again, Mr. Oral Hershizer. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he's like, I will call the police. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. The Dodgers pitcher, right? Yeah, I know.
2: Oral Hersheiser. Yeah,
0: ridiculous.
2: So you just got in trouble. You nothing happened.
1: Nothing happened. <laughs> he let me go. And then I just God. went to a different place and called it in.
2: Jesus. Well how do you think he knew Because you gave the wrong name or what was it? It was just
1: I mean Oral Hirschheiser.
2: But that's why he knew it?
1: Possibly, or maybe he called the doctor and, yeah. and to double check. God. But I never got denied. I ne- there's the only time I ever so got denied. So how long did you him. keep that up? From two thousand and beginning of two thousand and eight. Or no, May of two thousand eight until about two thousand and twelve. Wow, that's a long time. 4 years, yeah. So you're taking them constantly on and off cuz what happened was I started doing stand-up comedy mm-hmm. in like really committed myself to stand-up comedy in August of 2008 and I had you know you, you you're trying to find your voice, you're trying just to, to be confident on stage. Yeah. And so I would you know, I'd go up sober and and not do very well and then I I would take like a painkiller and I would get some laughs. Yeah. Then Rita, the booker. Oh, she wasn't. She's not. She's a general manager or whatever. She is improv, at, the, at the improv. Yeah. She put together this show called Best of the Open Mic. It was called Freshman Class. And I was on the first show. And it's a big deal because this is a lot of ours. Our first shows on the Hollywood Improv main stage. Right. It's me. Yasser Lester. Uh, rail Battle, Byron Bowers, Angelo Bowers, Gerard Carmichael, Jade Caterpreda, Tony Hinchcliffe, all the people that I'm homies with that, mm-hmm. like, we all have done shit. And packed audience. Everybody eats shit. Right. Everybody. I, there's some laughs. But, like, for the most part, everybody's having a bad set. Weird. And I took a bunch of Viking in that day. hmm And Johnny. What's a bunch? Realistically? Yeah, for real. Twenty to twenty-five.
2: Oh my God!
1: That's starting. Your tolerance the was I wake very up. high. Yeah, it was so high. Very I mean, high. It was. It was bad. Most oh, I ever Jesus. took in one day of Vicodin were about fifty. I took on my birthday when I turned twenty-nine. Unbelievable! I didn't know that was possible. Yeah, man. Take about four or five at a time. Holy shit! Because your tolerance moment. is just so high. It's huge. Yeah. God. So I. So, but this is like. So this is. uh Damn, This is. Uh, so I do the show and I'm high on Vicodin and I fucking annihilate. No bullshit. Oh, no. To the point where everybody, all the other comics were like, dude, you fucking killed. Like, a lot of people were like, dude, I didn't realize you were this funny. So you You got a false positive. Yeah.
2: There's nothing worse than that, that kind of thing. Because you're fucked. Because now you think, oh, I can't be funny unless, unless I take yeah. the most amount of Vicodin that should kill a normal person. Yeah,
1: and that's and that was kind of the battle that I had for years Jesus. because I was like – it took me a minute to find my voice. It took me a minute to get comfortable, to like really be okay yeah. with, with being on stage and telling my jokes because I was hanging out with super funny people and they were just killing. And you're like – I would I would have a great show, and then I'd have a bad show. And then I'd have a great show, and then I'd have yeah. three bad shows. And then I'd have five great shows, and then I'd have a bad show. And I'd be like, nope, I'm terrible. And I was, I'd beat myself up. And if it wasn't for my friend Angelo, mm-hmm. Angelo Bowers, I probably would have quit because I was so – it was just never consistent. But that's something that just happens in your first year of stand-up anyway. Yeah.
2: Well, also, if you're really high, you can't really evaluate what you're doing because you're not really present. And so you don't really have a lot of. It's hard enough as it is because you get in that stage space where it's like you're in bullet time kind of. So you can't unless you can record it. Uh, or, or and this somehow, is before we, yeah, all, before had, it had we all had cell phone recorders. recorders. Yeah. If you can't do that, you really can't evaluate your performance that well. So you, especially for high, so it's got to be the thing where you you can't really know what you did that was so great. And if you, you know, a lot of times it's because you're. Just so, um, you're so loose. Yeah. And that looseness is like, it's basically a substitute for experience.
1: Well, and that's, that's why I liked opiates is yeah. because it made me feel confident. Mm-hmm. It always made me feel like I walk up on stage and I was like, I could give a shit. Dude, to be honest with you, when, when I did new faces in 2012, I almost got it. And I'm about five years no about four years into stand up at that point. Yeah. Cause I started in a And. This is after I got in that really bad car accident, so I was on a lot of Oxy, but like hardcore now. Now I'm not on Vicodin. I'm on like like Oxycontin, shit like that, because that's what they gave me in the hospital. What year is this, you think? 2012. This is January 2012. This is right after the accident. I did one showcase at... um, I did one showcase at uh, three clubs and I killed. And I remember I go up to Eric Abrams, who's like the liaison oh, yeah. for like Robbie and them. And he goes, I go, so do you think I'll get a call back? He goes, I don't know, man. And I see him a week later. He goes, dude, you're, you're kind of on the bubble. Uh-huh. In all honesty, he goes, you might get a call back, might not. And then February, end of February 2012, uh, Eric calls me and he's like, hey, man, uh, we got a call back tonight. Do you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. And he's like, meet me. He's like meltdown 7 p.m. And I had had a bunch of oxy 80s, and I show up, and I took some of them, and I'm feeling great. And it's a good lineup of people. Byron Bowers is on it. Uh, I forget who else, but it's a light audience in the Meltdown showroom, right? Uh-huh. It's not a lot of people, dude. Everybody's eating shit, right? Everybody, because they're this is it's now because this is the show's got weight on it, man. Like yeah. you, you could get new faces, or you could get whatever they're showcasing you for on that on that show so people are trying to do good so when they're not getting the laughs you could see it on their face and in their energy that they're giving off to the audience well I go up I am feeling no pain right? and I bomb like everybody else but I had such a good time cause I literally and I get some laughs but just we all had a bad set Mm -hmm. and I get off stage and Robbie and Jeff Singer both come up to me and they're like who are you I'm like, I'm like Josh Adam Myers. They're like, dude, you. I was like, we're going to be watching you, man. Uh-huh. Like, you. you know, I can't believe we've never seen you. And then uh, I had the third callback, and I had gotten sober finally before the third callback, and I just ate shit. But that's
2: that's not very much time between the second and
1: third. That's like what two weeks, three weeks. First call, first showcase was it was like end of January. Yeah. Last second showcase was end of February. Final showcase was May.
2: But I don't understand. So you just decided to get sober like in the spring?
1: I, yeah, because I had I'd gotten to a point where it was just, I was like, it was so bad, man. It was like, I, I, I opened up to a friend. I was so just emotionally drained. I was just at the lowest I'd ever been. Yeah. I never dealt with losing my friend. And, and I, this, I tell a friend, my friend Julia, uh, how bad the addiction is, and she's like, "I'm going to help you get sober." And so I went through like three days of hell, like you know, but did detox. You,
2: you didn't do it with an like, inpatient. No, no, or I like just
1: that? I didn't have the money. I was just like yeah. I, I had because you like, you get all you you when you you got to understand like the only way you really get sober is you just have to want to do yeah, it. Yeah, you have to want. And to I it. wanted it. I wanted to get my okay. life back. And I and I you could go to a rehab and you could go to the best one in the world, but if you don't give a shit, you're going to relapse again.
2: What was the thing that really made you want to get it back? Because I mean, you just had that callback. That was another more another reinforcing well, I thing. I didn't know. Where...
1: I didn't know about the callback yet. But you the had the second
2: was... one. You were high as fuck. Yeah, but
1: I had just, dude. I was just, you know, one. I was I was I was running out of money. Uh-huh. Um, I wasn't working. People had donated all this money to me. And I just was using it on drugs. I was depressed. Wow. I had lost my best friend. And I was just, I was like medicating, thinking, no, I got to do stand up instead of healing and taking time away and just being, you know, I should have gone after the car accident. I should have gone to visit my mom and just stayed with my mom for a month yeah. and just gotten away. It's like you, you think that this, 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 this is the car accident you're in with, yeah, with my friend Angela. Ba- yeah. Angela
2: Bowers and he, he died he in the, died accident. In the yeah. accident.
1: Yeah. And he's my best friend. Right. And, and I immediately, I'm in the hospital and they give me drugs and then I'm just on drugs until May and you yeah. get to this place where I'm running out of money, I, I realize, I look like shit, I'm like, I'm just done. I'm done and I wanna go back to being normal and you hit that, I'm fed up with being fed up. Right. And open up to this girl, she's like, I'm gonna help you get sober, so for three days I felt terrible and then I start feeling good and then I get the showcase. Uh-huh. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kill it. I'm going to do my best. Well, day of the showcase, I get so nervous and I show up. It's at the comedy store in the belly so room. i so nervous. And I fucking eat shit, dude. So bad. Like, so bad that in the middle of the set, Johnny, I stop and I go, I hate all my jokes. And I get uh, this huge, that's the only place I got a huge laugh. Well, because
2: you always get laughs when you acknowledge the situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And, and then Robbie says to me afterwards, he goes, he goes, hey, man, he goes, you're not going to get it this year. But I know who you are. I like you. Right. Keep doing what you're doing. You're gonna get it, and I got it the next year. But you know, then I I was sober for a while, and then I, I then I when I started doing the goddamn comedy jam, and I was still having to, to work a day job. I just hated that day job, so I started like using again, and then using
2: painkillers. Pain painkillers, yeah. and
1: then so it how went,
2: long were you sober?
1: About a year, year and a half. That's a pretty long
2: time. Yeah.
1: And then I, and then I.
2: What and, made you start using it again, though?
1: I don't know. You just. I think it's just that you know. I never was able to handle success because I had never dealt with losing my friend. Right. I had a lot of survivor's guilt. You know what I mean? I see what you're saying. So yeah. I so I am now. You know, I'm doing the jam. The jam. You know. It, you know. Executives are coming to it. Big agents, managers. It's like 2013. Everything. 2013. 2014. And I start getting nervous. Right. And I also started having vocal cord issues. And so what happens is um, I go to the doctor one night, like to the – not urgent care, but to the hospital because – you know, I had insurance and I didn't want to go to. If you go to a regular doctor, you have to get like fucking to get a C and ENT takes forever. So I was like, I'm just going to go to the hospital. They'll give me some Decadron, which is like anti inflammatory, and, you know, and that'll be it. And so I go there. It's
2: and not, the, it's not non uh, narcotic.
1: It's non narcotic. Okay. But he goes, he goes, listen, I think you have an infection in your throat because you said your throat hurts mm-hmm. and you're losing your voice. That's kind of what I assume it is. So we're going to give you some IVs that'll clear it up. We'll mm-hmm. give you some Decadron. He goes, are you in pain? And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. And he goes, all right, we'll give you some morphine, too. So he gave me some morphine. You didn't tell him. You were like, hey, I'm an addict. Fuck no, dude. Because okay. I wanted it. At that point, I was already kind yeah. of using a little bit, but I would never gotten high and done the jam yet. Then he gave me some uh, Norcos to take with me. Those are so strong. They're great, though. They're great. This is crazy. But he gives them to me, and then I do the, we had to do the goddamn comedy jam the yeah. next day, December is- 2014, and it's like Jim Jeffries, Roy Scovell- me was just like the taping. You mean
2: like for no, the? No, no, this isn't a TV show. Just a live mm, show. It's just a live, live show. Live. But
1: that was the first show I ever took opiates and mm-hmm. did the jam, and then I was like, "Oh, I'm only taking opiates and doing the jam wow. from this point on." And then I did it until May of 2016, and then I, um, May of 2016, last week it was really bad, what really, these- really bad. I have all this shit about to happen. The TV show. Uh-huh. I have all this stuff that's coming to me, but I'm like a full blown addict. And you're back
2: where you used to be.
1: Yeah, but I but I have an apartment. You know, I haven't, like, I still work a day, you know. I mean,
2: like, I don't mean that. I mean, like, how much you're using. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, dude. <laughs> now it's not, now it's not Viking, and now it's, like, you know, perk 30s and, like, oxymorphine and all this heavy shit. <clears throat> and so I, I remember I, I had a week. It was just, I'd fallen off the rails. I did heroin that week. And then I come back. Well, what do you mean?
2: You can't say that. You can't say I did heroin that week. I was in, I, so uh, it started, picked up my sister at the airport. So here's the deal. <laughs> so
1: here's the deal. Here's how it used to happen. I used to I used to go on painkillers for a week, mm-hmm. and then I'd go off for two weeks. And yeah. then I'd go on for three weeks, and I'd be off for a week. That's
2: a really common thing for a lot of addicts, right? It's a thing where it's almost like it allows you to keep using because if you stop for a little bit, you're like, okay, I have control. Yeah. There's something about that, Right
1: you just you don't want to th- feel like you're a, you're a junkie but it's you like are. bargaining yeah okay so i i had gone to dc with a headliner and we're on the trip and i'm from that area mm-hmm. and we're on the trip and he goes man i hurt my back he's like god he's like uh do you have anybody out here that can get me some vicodin i just he's like he really hurt his back right. and i was like yeah i have a buddy that's coming to the show tonight and i asked that buddy not knowing that that buddy, you know, is a full-blown, you know, addict, but a functioning addict. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I don't have Vicodin, but he's like, I got some ox- some Perk 30s if you want them. And he goes, and he drops them off to me, doesn't charge me, gives me 10 of them. And then he's like, he's like, here, dude, snort some of this, this shit right here. He's like, it's pure opium, but it's heroin. Yeah. And I did it, and I threw up, and I felt great. And then I start, and then I give, go to the buddy with the Perk 30s, and yeah. the guy's like, I don't want fucking Perk 30s. I just wanted a Vicodin. So I just take them. And then I call the guy after the second day. I'm like, hey, man, can you bring me more of those? And he brings mm-hmm. me more for free. And then I go back to LA. Why is he going to you for free? He just did. Okay. I don't know. People like me. You got to understand, Johnny. I get a lot of shit for free. If I, I go to the same coffee shop or the fucking butcher, he gives me free dog bones. Or he gives me, if I go, there's I a there might be bar. Like, a, like
2: a backstory to this.
1: No, there's a, he's just a dude. This is a dude that I knew for right. years. And I don't know. I guess he sold him and he just had a bunch. Yeah. And so I get back to L.A. And so for while I'm in L.A. for that week, it's just like every day I ran through his. I had called my dealer. And every day I was buying $200 worth of painkillers. And the next day, wow. wake up, take one of the painkillers I have left, call the dude, get $200 more. And then finally on Friday, I just – the guy, the drug dealer doesn't answer – And so I just go to bed at like, I think I took like a Xanax and went to bed at like 6 Mm p.m. And then I wake up Saturday and I decide I'm just going to get sober. I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to get off for a few days. 2016. 2016. May 2016. And on the Monday, I go to the comedy store. At this point, I'm feeling better. The withdrawal is kind of gone. And I run into Sam Tripoli. Do you know Sam? I know Sam. And Sam looks at me and he goes, you've been using again, haven't you? And I go, yeah, and he goes. You
2: guys have like so. Everyone you know
1: back then, did they all know that you were? Sam knew more than any. Is... He, you know, a guy, he used to party. Okay, he's sober now. I think. No, I know he is. But at the time, he had gotten sober maybe like a year previous. Right, and, and he was just looking out for me. He's always been like you know a big brother in a sense. He always took care of me and Angelo when we were first starting out. Right. And so Sam sees me, and he goes, he goes, you've been using? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, when are you going to stop? And I literally say, probably when I die, man, because but, I don't know how to get off of these things. But
2: you had been for two days. You've been off of
1: them. Yes, but I, but I was going to use again Yeah. because something big was going to come up.
2: <sighs> yeah, and so man, What the fuck?
1: So he says, so he goes, so I say, probably when I die. And then he says this, and I'll never forget this moment. He goes, he goes, yeah, you could die. He goes, or... You're going to be that 50 year old comic still hanging out here at the comedy store that almost had a TV show but fucked it up. And then I look over and you like see that guy. That guy's there. He's hanging out at the store tonight. Yeah. He's going to be there anytime you go there. It's a lot of them. And that was it. That was the moment. And I go, well, I don't want to be that. I want to be a success. I am, a, you know what I mean? Yeah. I have the capabilities to be a successful person. If I keep using drugs, I'm never going to reach full potential. And then that was it. So that was the last time. That was the last time I used opiates. Wow! And so, and, and it's been it's been boring. It's my life's been boring since. Now. There's
2: something that uh, I was, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I used to be really into Dr. John, and he wrote this book called "Under a Hoodoo Moon." Uh-huh. You should check it out, man. You'd fucking love it.
1: He I haven't listened to it enough Doctor John, but I'm excited well, when it comes up on the podcast. His,
2: um, he just he ran a band for like you know 20 years back when that was interesting, and he knows he knew everybody. Like, there's not a person in music he didn't cross paths with back then. And he started using heroin. When he was like, I don't know, 15, 16 in New Orleans. His guitar yeah. teacher hooked him up with it. They used to shoot heroin in, in New Orleans in a special way. They wouldn't use needles. They would uh, sanitize their arm take a um a safety pin poke a hole in the vein then take an eyedropper and kind of suckle it up to the hole and squeeze it in oh and and so they would never get uh iv diseases because of this and so his guitar teacher hooked him up with it he he did heroin on and off for god probably 20 years yeah but he kicked it i mean around this time i remember reading this when i was in the hospital having surgery and i had a a demerol button right so i used to take a lot of painkillers after my surgeries i mean i didn't have like a I don't. I don't. I don't, have, I don't think I have like an addiction issue with it, but I definitely did. Would t- was taking them a lot. Like sure. I take them regularly. I, it was like my drug of choice for a while. I remember reading about what he said about heroin was um, the reason he stopped using it was because he felt like um, like life wasn't real. He felt like he d- didn't feel anything, and he sort of like wanted he wanted to like experience the real world because he was so. It just shuts you off, it, like numbs you to everything yeah. to where you don't you're not experiencing anything, any, any sort of actual reality. Yeah. And I, I was like such a made so much sense to me in terms of like why someone would stop doing it, because it's like it's not so much. Yeah, you're bored as hell right now, but that's great. But because that's, it's well, real. this
1: is the thing is that I I say that as a joke, I the idea of going back to that lifestyle is so scary. And that's and that what I needed to do to really heal myself, to ensure that I would never do that again is is heal and really look yeah. deep and find out why I have this negative view of who I am and why I have the survivor's guilt and why I don't connect with people post the car accident. And so, you know, that was May of 2016. What had happened was in then we shoot the tv show and we're going on we're touring a lot i'm i'm on the road i'm doing festivals like you know music festivals all this shit and then we shoot the series in january of 2017 they, you know i'm get, i have now i have all this money and i just isolate from the world the second we wrap shooting i just isolate mm-hmm. and i get a dog and i'm dating this girl and uh, the girl's depressed too so so two negatives make a positive. We're just, like, hanging out every day, ordering Postmates, fucking, and just, you know, she smokes pot. I wasn't smoking pot at the time. And then that's about a year. I'm barely doing stand-up. And then— Why are we I, not doing stand-up? Because I just—I I don't know, man. I just wasn't writing. Like, the jam was my reaction to my frustration with stand-up. Right. That I wasn't getting— You know, you do new faces, you expect so much. I wasn't getting any of that. And so then, you know, maybe like, I think it was, that's 2013, I did new faces, and then I created the jam in November, no, in July of 2014. So about a year from then, I'm about to move to New York, and I'm like, I'm going to try the jam, and then the jam just takes off, and I just like-
2: The jam, for people who don't know, it's, uh, it's, you have comedians sing along- to a, a yeah. live song, it's like so, a performance. so they, they
1: perform. So they do a stand-up set, and yeah. then they tell a story about why they chose a song they're going to sing, and then they sing that cover song with a live band. It's like comedy karaoke times ten. Times, but it's 10. like it's the most rock and roll fucking fun show. It, I'd put it up there with any show that's ever been created. It's as one of the most fun shows there is, and uh, it's and it's great, and it's given me so much, and it's changed my life, and I love it. Uh, that being said, you know, it became a TV show. We rap shooting it. And I have all this money, and I just, you know, I wasn't writing jokes, so I didn't want to go up and do the same material. People would offer me shows, and I do yeah. them, but it wasn't like I was. Well, it's
2: you have searching. PTSD yeah, essentially.
1: For dude,
2: I, I had that for sure. So much shit I hadn't dealt with. Yeah. So Well, so, you have PTSD not just from that. You have PTSD from working because when you work on something really hard, then it stops. It's you can't fill that. It's so hard to fill up.
1: Yeah, the same. You're running at hundred miles an hour, yeah. doing this, doing that, and it's like we got to get this right. And then the anxiety is this person going to do the show? Uh, and then you just you're always freaking out. I mean, it's,
2: it's why people kill themselves when they come back from Iraq. Yeah, long story. Oh, I mean, like it's the it's, it's a hurt like locker. extreme version of that. It's a hurt
1: locker yeah. for sure. Speaking of which, that's going to be... I want to watch that again. During this whole, like, quarantine thing, I'm trying to figure out the movies I want to watch. Hurt yeah. Locker's going to be a good one. Maybe I'll rewatch... I'll do... Maybe I'll do a Catherine Bigelow night. I'll watch Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. Yes. So, so what happens is I, I'm i dating this girl. I have the dog. Um, and I go to do this show in San Diego that I didn't want to do, and I have the greatest time ever doing stand-up again. And then I come home and I say, I'm going to dig back into stand-up. And the girl that I was dating was just you know she had money, but she was and she, but she was always staying at my house and I just we get into an argument one day and I go, dude, you got to go. I was like, you just gotta go and she leaves and then it's just me and the dog. Mm-hmm. And then the healing began. I started getting back into stand-up, I started writing, I started doing all this shit. And then in January of 2018, I meet this girl who is very spiritual. She's a musician. Mm-hmm. We're kind of seeing each other. I tell her my whole story. she she knows that I'm not that I'm that I'm hurt and there's things that I need to work on. And so she takes me to this energy clear. She's like, I want you to meet this guy because she goes, you have this light that burns so bright and y- you have it on dim. And that was very profound because I'd never heard anybody say that. And she was so right. And so we go to Ohio and I meet this guy and he's li- literally living in this like small house. And, and, you know, I meet the guy and we go into this room and he says, he goes, um, what did, what did, what did perfect. He says, <laughs> he says, he goes, uh, what did, what my did name you, is Fable. He goes, oh, no, his name, what is his name? God damn it. My name's oh, it's, it's No, it's a normal name, like Clint or My some shit. My name is Jason. He goes, he goes, what do you know about me? And I go, she hasn't told me anything. He goes, well, I'm a clairvoyant, and I work with some of the biggest musicians and actors in the world. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, because she's... David Lee she's, Roth. <laughs> <laughs> Perry Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> David Copperfield. Anthony Kiedis. <laughs> And he goes, my credits, please. (laughs) And he says, and he says, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to meditate three times. Uh And he's like, just keep an open mind. That's it. He reads my energy first and he says, you're running at about 6%. So he goes, that means 94% of your consciousness is tied up in all the baggage that you're carrying around. So he goes, we're going to meditate three times. So we meditate one time and during the meditation, he goes, he goes, pull up a picture and I pull up a picture of me and my dog but me and my dog are like far away and it's all foggy and then the meditation ends he's like well I cleared away this month's miss- this amount of wreckage and he goes alright let's meditate again and then we meditate again and he's like pull the picture back up and now I pull the same picture up and it's me and Lekka like super close and crystal clear what? and then the meditation ends and he goes alright so we're gonna meditate one more time and then on the third meditation I have a full on out of body experience completely sober mm-hmm. It it felt, I don't know, it was like all the psychedelics I'd ever taken didn't compare to the way I felt in this moment. Yeah. And, and then we stopped the meditation. I started like weeping and he's just like, listen, I've, I've basically cleared all of that. But he goes, it's going to come back. So you need to start working. You need to start reading. You need to start working on healing yourself. And that was what I started doing. What did you start reading? Well, it's funny because I I used to the cleansing is over. <clears throat> I used to uh, I used to re, you know be on social media all the time, mm-hmm. and I remember I came home one day and I was like I gotta turn this off. It's making me depressed. And then I was like I want to read a book, and somebody had given me while I was in the hospital. While I was in the hospital, people brought me books and shit. But they bring me like hospital ri- like years in, in, ago. For, yeah, in two thousand twelve, I he had, people had brought what, what me. What happened like, in two thousand twelve? That was in the car accident.
2: Oh, that, okay. I'm sorry. I was yeah. <clears throat>
1: no, no, yeah. no, that's fine. So. People brought me like Steve Martin's autobiography, Richard Pryor's autobiography. Yeah. But Lucas Dick, Andy Dick's son, brought me The Tao of Pooh.
2: The Tao of Pooh. I have yeah. never heard of that.
1: So it's it's <clears throat> basically Taoism. Right? Like Lao Tzu, the philosopher, you know, wrote the book called The Tao Te Ching, and it's like all these like diff- these these ways of basically, you know, being able just to go with the flow of the universe, mm-hmm. not fighting the current. And going with the flow of life. Right. That's basically what it is. Um, And then this book, The Tao of Pooh, is basically Taoism, but broken down into like simple Winnie the Pooh, Tigger stories. The Tao of Pooh. Yeah, The Tao of Pooh.
2: That's interesting.
1: And I read it. And I read it within three hours. I was just, I could not get off it. And I'm like, oh my God, it's like this, this is every, this is like, I'm fighting the current. I'm not being water. I'm, 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 you know, I'm. And so then I was like, I need another book, and somebody had given me uh, The Power of Now, and I read that, the Eckhart Tolle book, and then I read Autobiography Yogi, and then I wrote The Four Agreements, and then I read, I've just read, like, literally, like, 30 books. self-help books. Uh-huh. And then I, and then uh, that, that that musician that I was dating, I'm not dating her anymore, we're friends, but she introduced me to this, this healer, and I started working with this guy, and I started doing meditation. And then you know I started doing it like... when i
2: saw you at the comedy store you had just started this was just, i just told, told ripped this flashback to me right now we were in the back room the belly room before they got made it, before they made it bigger it was like a tiny little room yeah. and you told me you had just you were so excited cuz you just started meditating you were like fucking yeah i remember that very clearly cuz you had- uh i cuz i've been meditating i think a few years at that point yeah and, and I just wanted to connect with yeah. anybody
1: that was meditating because it's like, it you know what it's like once you start. It's scary, but once it suddenly starts to click, it becomes like this beautiful thing where it's like you could be freaking out in the morning and then you meditate and you're like, no, everything will be fine. Yeah. I just, I'm here. I'm safe right now. Even, Even, dude, fucking today. Today, I woke up, I meditated, and I started freaking out again. And then I went to my healer because I go every Thursday. I've been going every Thursday for the last two, you know, two and a half years. And you go we... all went, Oh, hi. No, no, no. <laughs> he's, he's, this guy's out. The healer, that, right. that the energy clear is in Ohio. The healer is up in, healer, got in Burbank. He's up in the Burbank Hills. Nice. But, but I literally. You know, I go and have this session and we meditate together and he says like, you're going to be fine. Like we go through all the coronavirus bullshit and I'm like, dude, I'm freaking out because I'm losing this work. I'm losing this job. Is this going to go away? And he's like, why are you thinking like that? Mm-hmm. Everything right now is fine. Also, and man, just know that you'll be fine. And everyone's dealing with it too. Everybody. So, but everybody, that, yeah. but dude, if there was no meditation right now and all the, if I was still a hundred percent, I'd be, I'd 100% be using right now. If I never started yeah. healing, I just, you can't just get sober. Like, that's why people go to 12-step programs. Right. Because they work. Because you, it's a something to follow and it teaches you how to be a better human being. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, like a 12-step program is something that reg- anybody should do.
2: Yeah. Did you seen that movie, uh, He Won't Get Far on Foot?
1: No, but it's- It's
2: great. It's uh, a walking phoenix. It's like, uh, you would love it, man. It's about this, it's a real life story of this cartoonist who was an alcoholic and he- uh, Got in an accident and was crippled, but he was still drinking all the time. And he it's just about his journey. And uh, Jonah Hill's in He plays like this sort of... I, of I know fruity. what you're talking about, yeah. It's great. It's really interesting. But it, it kind of opened my eyes to the whole 12-step thing as being... This isn't necessarily something for people who are...
1: Uh, Alcoholics. Yeah,
2: or any kind of an addict. Anyone can. Because it's like alcoholism or any addiction is kind of just the most... Obvious form of that, I guess you could call it like self hatred in a sense, where it's this thing where people can't uh, be, they can't sit with themselves, they can't be, um, they can't, they can't like love themselves. There's all
1: all that stuff. That's the key. What you just said right there, love yourself.
2: Yeah, people, it's so hard to do that for so many people, especially it's probably hard for everyone all the time. No one does it all the time. I feel like. So, yeah, I've seen that movie. I was really. I don't know i just i loved it and it's kind of thing i haven't done it but it's it made me think about like i would be open to doing that you know it, it'd be something where because this
1: i don't know this basically some, what basically yeah. all the self-help books and all that shit and going to therapy what what i went to self-help books or self uh 12 step programs and i was just like it didn't feel right for me this path that i'm on now yeah feels so right and i think that if, for me like i've never shit talked any twelve step program, any way that you better yourself is fantastic. But like to really recover from like you know an accident or drugs or whatever, your childhood. It's like you have to work through it, yeah. And, and you have to love yourself and know that you that you and I deserve all the success that we're gonna get because because we worked hard and we're good people. And just because you fucked up when you're younger doesn't make you a bad person the point of life is that make the mistake and then learn from it
2: uh, also there's i think there's always the idea that um you're never gonna get over it like there's people like, people think they're going oh i'm gonna fix myself i'm gonna be cured it's like no you're just gonna you learn to live with it as tools. opposed
1: you have tools to deal with it yeah
2: you, know, you can't just erase your past you can't just like be oh i this didn't happen to me I've gotten over it. It's like you haven't gotten over it, you just you now know how to live your life with that being a part of your life. Yeah. And so that stuff is uh I feel like I don't know. So much of this stuff we talk about, I feel like I know in spurts. It's so hard to constantly to live in that space where you're always aware of thinking about it. Like I have this thing that happened recently a couple of times where I was like I built up some events too big, you know. And I wasn't like I wasn't like um I wasn't getting like drunk a bunch or doing anything like I normally – that I might do in that situation. But it was like I built these things up and created all these expectations. And then you do the thing, and it doesn't live up to your expectations because nothing possibly can ever live up to any expectation because it's, you know, it's the unknown future. Yeah. And that weird feeling where there's like a drop-off afterwards where you just feel like so emotionally drained because you were prepared for an outcome that didn't happen. And it's like – to me, that's like the hardest thing to get to get around is the idea of, of trying to get rid of expectations.
1: Yeah, I, I've I've been able to enjoy the work that I'm doing and not give a shit about the reward. Yeah, like the rewards are great, but if you really just <clears throat> focus your attention on the projects you want to make, yeah, that you love making, like the podcast, uh, like the the movie or whatever I'm working on. It's like when I – and acting, it's like, I dude, I don't even care if I book anything. I love acting so much that just, like, studying it and working through it has yeah. made me so, like, fulfilled. And and, and that – I'll be honest with you. The meditation and the acting class, the two things that have changed my life the most. Dude, acting is like going to, like, being able to be present and be there and listen mm-hmm. and do all that. It's like that's – it was – you could, years of therapy wouldn't have – Helped me as much as Myra's class.
2: I remember I, the, <clears throat> one of the first acting classes I took, the teacher was like, uh, so you, you guys all know that acting was the sort of the original form of therapy. <laughs> like, really? I don't doubt it. He was saying how, well, I mean, obviously, way back in the day, it was the uh, original form of prostitution, but there's like, like in the, the 30s and 40s and even 50s and stuff, before psychotherapy was, was widespread or even available to hardly anyone, but like the super rich, whatever, or people who were like, I don't know, socialites in New York, whatever. But that's so much uh, acting, training, and theory is based on stuff that's the exact same things as psychology. All this stuff, all these exercises you do, like Meisner exercises, or I can't think specifically what it is that, uh, that he talked about, but it makes so much sense that that is so similar because you're doing stuff, like if you do like a Meisner exercise where you're saying the same thing over and over again and trying to get a different emotional response from someone, that feels just like, That's like an exercise you do in therapy or something maybe, you know? Yeah. All that stuff is so – like getting in touch with with where you're coming from, like who you are, being present. Because to be – to act like the best acting, I always feel like is the most truthful. And if something's truthful, it's because that person has the ability to be vulnerable enough in the moment. And to do that, you have to be – I don't know. It takes – it's really hard, I think. Yeah. that's why a lot of actors are so fucked up is because there are these people who can do that. And to be able to do that, you have to have had a bunch of experiences that have kind of warped you, maybe, you know. Yeah,
1: can you imagine what Sean Penn would have been like at the craft service table after shooting the the finding out his child died scene from Mystic River? Yeah. He's just like, yeah! I that's a cut. And then he's just like, all right, so uh woo-woo! He's like trying to, like, you gotta eat because that crab dip? Like he's no. It's like you bring up real emotion. And, uh, dude, I did a scene in class, uh, Myra Turley, who's a fantastic acting coach. um, Amazing. Amazing. So she started giving me, like, real heavy shit. Like, real heavy drama stuff. Because I asked for it, and I'm really, it's been, it's not going to say it's easy, it's hard, but it's been really, like, I've been really nailing a lot of these scenes. And she gave me a scene from this play, basically about this guy in rehab, and he's, he's, uh, he he was abused by nuns when in his childhood and he has to, he's like the greeter at this rehab and a nun is the person he has to greet she's an alcoholic too and the i read the whole play i actually did a scene from it with uh, a friend in an, another session of myra's class but on this one it's just a monologue and dude it's like as i'm reading it i'm like dude this is this is going to be tough, man, and I kept reading it and reading it and I'm like so worried I'm not going to be able to cry knowing I have to. It's like the only way. It's like what he's saying right here is so yeah, gut-wrenching. And dude, we did that scene in class and I fucking wept. Wept it was the and,
2: opposite problem. Dude, yeah. It
1: was but you know, it's you know what's funny? Here's what's funny, Johnny, is that I I went out, I I ordered on Amazon a tear, tear stick, stick. Yeah. So I go, I put it on right before we get in and it I didn't need it. Uh-huh. It just I mean to the point where in the scene wraps after she gave notes we did it again and then I really went for it. She got me there even more and I fucking really went for it and then this, she goes and then she's like scene and I kept crying in front of everybody to the point where she had to come up and like put her like hand on my heart ah! and talk me down. Dude, but it was the most amazing thing ever. I bet it was. It, I I was, and that's that's the funny thing about being in acting class. It's like you, you almost like you like walk out and you're like going to the rest of the world. It's like you guys don't even know the scene that I just did <laughs> in my acting class. Uh, dude, I'm like the Daniel Day Lewis of uh, oh. of Tuesday <laughs> eleven thirty to three. God, uh, but it's but it's it's really helped me. And and I I, I you know I can't rec- recommend for anybody. It's like if you're out there listening to this and you've got. Pain and problem, like face it, deal with it. Don't keep pushing it down because you, you'll you be so much happier once you deal with that shit. You know? Absolutely,
2: yeah. You want to play a song to close things up? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. What should we play? What do you want to hear?
1: What am I listening to right now? Uh, you like you want to do a little B, uh, little B, E, little Brian E. Yeah, Brian-E, oh man, you know, you know, which one Come I on. really like, uh, because I'm getting ready to record it. It's uh, uh, uh you know. I'll come running to tie, tie your shoe. Which album
2: is on? I can't remember. Another Green World. That is, okay. That's the oh. album I think I know the least from his early canon. As I know here are the come the warm jets really well. You shit. want to do,
1: are uh, do, you going to do something off here come the warm jets? What's the song that's uh, by my my, the inside? Is Just it like, uh, oh, it's the, the okay. something negro. Pop Papa uh,
2: Negro Blowtorch. Yeah. The greatest song name of all time. What <laughs> Brian Eno, I have a friend in London, he had a garden patch next to Brian Eno, and they said he was a real, he's like a real kind of kooky guy, he's
1: not like really serious. You think? Yeah, well, You think, he k- has like 19 kimonos.
2: But kooky like in a way, like kind of like a kindergarten teacher would be kooky. He was saying how, he picked up a rake, he's like, anything can be an instrument. How about this? This is an instrument. Like playing a rake, <laughs> that kind of shit. Wait, do know
1: something really cool about him? All of his lyrics that he wrote, What he would do is he'd write the song, the music, and then instead of writing lyrics, he would just start making noises to the music, sing the melody, like, And then he'd write the word, he'd take that, and then he'd write the words from that. And he doesn't know how to write music, so what he would do is he would orchestrate everybody in the room, the other musicians, by giving them, like, signs, and, like, he almost was like a conductor. That makes so much sense. Cause his shit's so and then he did this thing called the oh, Op- fuck, she's wearing Oh, god, dude, this is such a good album!
2: Oh, it's the best. This song I've listened to it hundreds of times. The fact that it comes in about three minutes in and was it hits just like waits. To- this is uh, on some faraway beach. What I love about Brian Eno, too, is he looks like Buffalo Bill. Yes uh, It's so creepy Can I use that on the podcast (laughs) Yeah go ahead When I tape it Yes Oh, So your podcast is
1: called The 500 with Josh Adam Byers Join me as I go through Rolling Stone Magazine's list Of the 500 greatest albums With comedians, actors And people of influence
2: Thanks for being here Josh
1: This was great I'm glad I got out of the house Because if not I was going to be In full quarantine
2: Full Corona mode Good night Or good morning Bye bye.
1: Well that wasn't too serious. No,
2: I I, I do actually like that. I Good. prefer that to, to the funny yeah.
1: bunnies.